0: Welcome to the 128th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by spawn.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half, we discuss the game they're to promote, which in this case is Semipheres by Vivid Helix. Radu. Hello. Who are you? and what do you do
1: i'm a software developer turned game developer and i've been working on this game for for a while now so all in all it's about two years but it actually spans four calendar years the first version of the game was in 2014 so yeah (laughs) it's been a while
0: (laughs) yeah people don't really understand how long games take to make i mean it's Uh, there are some you can get some rudimentary stuff together in about a week or so i'm not being silly here i mean you can get a a a very odd sort of thing going and it's like oh yeah there's a there's a concept there and then you spend the next years (laughs) just massaging it over and over uh and uh sometimes people just keep on going and it's like any creative endeavor it's never really finished but you just have to let it go sometimes uh yeah nothing
1: nothing's really finished any any time yeah
0: Nothing's really finished, so this um but before we delve into semi spheres, let's talk a bit about you. um how did you make your start making flashy lighty video games?
1: so I already mentioned i I used to be a software developer, so I worked outside of games and let's call it enterprise software for quite a few years i think like 10 plus years i doubled a bit with video games in early 2000 but uh due to like reasons like changing countries and everything i dropped that and focus more on the uh just uh, let's say more boring side of uh software well, that's uh, what we say more, like-
0: you know essential maybe it's so lot like things that you yeah. know you go to an atm machine and like how does that run well <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was fortunate enough that uh, I think most of my jobs were were really good, and I, I do enjoy writing code, so right. that did help a lot. But fast forward to, uh, so I'll, I'll bring a bit of the life journey. So I'm, I'm Romanian, but I moved to Canada, and then for a while I was living in Australia, and the client I was working for. Wasn't as fulfilling as I would normally be. So I was getting my coding fix, my programming fix at work. So then I started working at home. So this was 2010. And that's when I got started making Android games. I made like a really few small ones, then one slightly bigger game that took me maybe close to half a year to make in uh, just in the few hours I could get together every day this is me also having a one-year-old
0: <laughs> kid. oh wow
1: so it's uh, it a lot of uh short nights let's call it that so i did that for a while uh the game was so it, it did okay it wasn't like a financial success or anything but the reception was really good it was a puzzle game i loved it but then i kind of dropped this for a while as i moved back to canada and after a while I realized that there were no good games for kids so on especially on mobile devices and kind of I'm struggling to I shouldn't even be calling them games they're more like interactive experiences uh, all of them were just geared towards older kids and I wanted something that was simple just action reaction that like a one year old or one and a half two year old could understand that they're doing something and what they're doing means something and they're not just tapping away at a screen so that's how I got started making kids games for mobile devices. So mostly Android and then switched into iOS, Windows Phone. And I was making those games for my kid or well, initially my kid and my kids because now I have two two boys. So did that for, I think, a few years up until maybe… 2012, I got to the point where it, it, they were doing well enough that I could actually quit my job, and I went full indie, as they call it. So I was just yeah. fully dependent working on games. This right. was uh, this January 2013. And then after a while, I kept on working on that. I kind of uh, stopped working on those games, uh, sold them off to somebody else kind of randomly, and that was just enough to uh, fund to work on on this game so long story short it's like i did some kids games and then transition into non-mobile i i witnessed i was in the android space very early but i witnessed a change from kind of small to big to huge and i didn't believe like the visibility problem something that could be solved and i also wanted to make games not for kids as well because that's what i'm more interested in and so then I switched to following more of a PC console kind of path. And yeah, I think then I I kind of keep going back to the current game, but then I, I got started on, on this current game that I'm working on right now in 2014, late 2014. And in all this time, there's a bit of sprinkle here and there of contract work outside of video games. Uh, I think all of it was Android, which was my uh, backup money-making skill. And that was a good, just a good break from not doing the same kind of thing. I don't think I could contract games and work games at the same time; It'd just be too much of the same thing.
0: Yeah, a lot of people do, but uh, if you're able to yeah. actually branch out and do other things, then why not? Um, yeah, it's
1: kind of hard to keep up with multiple uh, <laughs> sort of things in uh, in computer science, so games and Android are already too big.
0: Mm. Chance I of information i've got two questions for you first question is um is the sub questions based on the main one but first one what is your first game you ever made can you remember that oh <laughs> uh
1: so i think it has to be like 99 or 98 okay uh uh try to figure out so one of the earlier ones that i made well, so for my my thesis, when I when I graduated, so I went to Com Comsai, uh, and when I graduated, what, what the application was actually uh, an implementation of the Risk game, like the world famous Risk, using yeah, genetic I'm,
0: algorithms. I'm, I'm, currently, which was, I'm currently playing um, Risk Legacy at the moment with some friends.
1: Oh, I, I've never played that. That's the <laughs> one that's like permanent, right? It is, yes. Yes, uh, yes. That, when I heard about that, there was something about it. It's like I uh, I feel so <laughs> odd writing
0: on this Oh, we tear cards. Up. These cards. You, you tear cards up and everything. It's amazing. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So I did. I, that was one of the first ones that I got. I guess a few other people to play because that was just for the um, for the thesis, which was on AI in modern games, wow. included okay. <laughs> a lot of game reviews. I had 18 pages of game reviews from a, from an AI perspective at the end of the paper, so <laughs> that, that made me feel good about playing video games while being a so, student. It's like, yeah, I'm researching
0: now. This is your bachelor degree, was it?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So, was it, I was yeah. in
0: computer science, I'm assuming, or?
1: Yeah, Comsight yeah, this yeah. was back in Romania.
0: Right, right. Yep. Okay. And did you do anything before that as a kid?
1: Uh yes, I used to. Yeah, a good thing they bring it up. So me and one of my friends. uh You live in Europe, so you must know of the ZX eighty.
0: Oh um, yes, yeah. no, I, like, uh, I had an eighty one as a kid. Yeah.
1: Remote. So yeah. in uh, in Romania we had we had people that had like the real thing like the ZX like the Spectrum Sinclair yeah, 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 or yeah, things yeah. like that yeah, yeah. which were really expensive and hard to get. But there were also three clones so uh, which were made in Romania like different names and made in different areas of the country. And I had one of those. So for all intents and purposes, it was similar. I mean, it would run the same things. Uh, like it was the same kind of OS. You It would run the same assembly code and everything. So me and one of my friends who had a similar machine, like a different kind of clone, uh, we would exchange programs. So I wouldn't call them games as much. We were just like programming uh, little animations. So, back then, to actually do that kind of stuff, you would take a uh, <laughs> like a small 8 by 8 square, like the uh, bits, and you'd need to come up with the numbers to just draw something. So then yeah, you yeah. t- punch in those numbers. Yeah, it was like. You'd have to put, it was really, Yeah, you
0: have, to, you have yeah. to change the memory addresses in order for it to do stuff.
1: Yeah. It was was really insane. But it would do like a back and forth, like sort of – maybe like digital letters. I I cannot call them anything else. It was just like a small animation of like this small dude uh, chipping away with a pickaxe or something and finding a piece of gold and walking away and then the the end following him off the screen or something like that. And that took like a long time to make. I was, what, grade six, seven? So what like – Ten, twelve. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, I'm British. Like we we that, don't. So. Yeah,
0: the grade thing we don't understand. So, no yeah, idea. it's best to just give us ages. I, I can yeah. inwardly translate, but it's kind of hard. Like nine, grade nine. I think you're about thirteen. Then I don't know though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had to, had to explain that to American friends. Like, I've no idea what you're talking about. What? Sorry, could you just give yeah. me an age? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, yeah. th- thank you. Right. Yeah, because uh, you know British uh, stuff. It's interesting but uh, well, it's not um <laughs> so yeah i mean the spectrum what do you make of the renaissance of uh, spectrum development and how there's a new one coming do you know there's a, a- I-, I saw uh, it was a
1: kickstarter or something like a few it was a couple of years ago i know they they wanted to do a
0: remake yeah they're making I- another one now it's called spectrum next it's uh it's basically a, a spectrum with an hdmi port sticking out the back of it and uh but it's got a full keyboard and everything it's uh and it's got uh, like a SD card reader, and you know, but you can also load games from tape <laughs> on it. Oh, that was that was been back memories. Yeah, well, yeah, people said you know it was terrible for the uh, for the for that, you know, but the spectrum only took about five minutes to load game because the board rate was really, really fast. It's not like the C64 which took ages, but anyway. Thanks for the history. It's good to know that you... Oh,
1: yeah. so Take it all the way back.
0: I just like to do that with people so I know people know how long you've been tinkering away at uh, ones and zeros, which is clearly a very, very long time. (laughs) It's it's been your bread and butter for a very, very long time. It's good to know. So let's move on to what your influences are. So obviously you love making puzzle games. So what is the biggest influence you you have as, as a creator of video games?
1: So, I think, like, the motivation for that is because I love puzzle games, uh, making a puzzle game is, like, the greatest puzzle. So, it's just coming up with the levels is a puzzle in itself. So, okay. you're trying to solve the problem of, like, how do you make something that's interesting? So, you come up with an idea and then you – the puzzle is to that, you, that i have to solve as a game designer is how to make this level interesting and not broken because you might have something that like plays good but then you can game it in a way and for a puzzle game there's nothing worse than that so it's i, I guess it kind of scratches the same itch as playing puzzle games making puzzle games i I don't know why I keep going back to that i I do prefer puzzle games as a player. I do play many other games as well. It's just this is something that I kind of go into and it it's in the same vein as like programming and all these they all play in the same space um in terms of influences I think. Like, the two biggest ones I'd say, I was really, really impressed with Portal and what they did. The first one. I I mean, the second one's great, too. The first one, what they did in tutorial-wise, the fact that they don't have a tutorial in the game or, like, an explicit tutorial, like, do this. It was just all baked in. And I thought that was brilliant. Like, the pacing and the progression of the levels, it's great. And that's what I'm trying to go for in in my game. Uh, Just not not have any kind of tutorial just making the levels be tutorials themselves as you introduce something that's small enough that the player has no option but to solve it and understand how that thing works before they move on
0: so the sheer the the sheer act of creating is what drives you what influences you more is the is the challenge of you have a mechanic you have a system this is a thing that really does work how many different ways i can can i make it and more interesting, more interesting and escalate and escalate and escalate. Cause you don't want a cliff face of, because the worst thing you want is a difficulty that sort of spikes. Cause you, you and I probably experienced that in many, many games. Like, oh, off I go. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, oh great. What yeah. am I supposed to do now? Whereas, you know, with semispheres and, and indeed portal, there is definitely a very gentle and, but the one thing about portal is that it has that humor in it. <laughs> yeah, it's just to the point where it, that helps. Yeah, it helps a lot because while you're you may be very frustrated, you're laughing. You're, you're you're laughing quite hard because of what the computer is telling you. It wants to give you cake and then kill you at the same time. Yes. I think yes, Um but um, not am not spoiling it. It, it, it is
1: it is really hard because finding that fine line between too hard and too easy it's very difficult i i'd obviously like as many people to enjoy my game the reality is that people are most likely to buy it are people who enjoy puzzle games so i i almost feel like you need to make it more a bit more on the harder side in terms of puzzles but with a smooth progression curve yeah so if that makes sense so it's just most
0: you want to see your journey from the beginning to the end And that's just a great sort of sense of achievement. Like, yes, I've got through all that. I remember when I got through there and I got stuck on it for ages. It's up there with The Witness and stuff like that. I was stuck on it for ages. It was obvious. Of course I had to do that. But no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, there was a second influence that I – it didn't really manifest itself in my game, but it's probably my favorite puzzle game of all times. And that's Steven Sausage Roll, speaking of the Sausage Factory. I'm not sure if you ever is the heard third of it or played it.
0: Who's come on the show and talked about this game. <laughs> Clearly, I need to own it. Right, should, so yeah.
1: <laughs> it is. Uh, it, it all depends on where you stand with Dark Souls, because I'm sure the developer hates this comparison. It is the Dark Souls of puzzle games <laughs> in, in, in the good way that doesn't tell you anything it just leaves you on your own and right. lets you deal with this world of puzzles and when you do it's it's one of the most sublime experiences i've had like in any video game ever uh, it's just really really well made
0: high price I, indeed okay i, I will, I will, I will. Well,
1: even jonathan blow said it's the best puzzle game of all times so it's like coming wow. even from him yeah so it's definitely something that uh, let's say it's not for the faint of or the faint of puzzle I'm not sure faint of puzzle
0: don't do faint of puzzle yeah. yeah go with that because yeah. it's not as if but it's, it's really, gory really, it's, just, really- it's just a puzzle Right. I will I will yeah. I have to investigate then because you're the third developer now has come on the show and talked about that game and not because they said yeah. oh sausages but no <laughs> it's, it's yeah. yeah okay fine
1: Good. And I guess, from outside of puzzle games yeah. in terms of influences i, I being a parent oh, uh, and yeah. let 's say slightly older, my time is very limited, so I have the utmost respect for developers that make games that don 't overstate their welcome and that 's what i 'm trying to do with my game. I don't want a game that's long for the sake of being long, of hitting a threshold of I don't know how many hours for like this amount of dollars for this amount of content. And I, I don't want to do that. I want to do something that's unique enough, gives you an experience. And then once it's done, it's done. It doesn't I, – I don't – I I try – I hope I don't have any filler levels so everything it's kind of serves a greater purpose of reinforcing something It's not just, oh, I could do what, like five more levels in here. Let's just add them. Mm. So with that in mind, my game is a bit on the shorter side of things, exactly because I didn't want to just add stuff that didn't fit with the whole game. Uh, yeah. That's- so that's part of the influence is that the thing that games like, if you look at, let's say inside which is again it's two to three hours long it's a pretty short game and it's an amazing experience i'll take an inside over a 50 hour game anytime just um yeah i guess that that's why i don't play many triple a games anymore it feels like a lot of them just uh kind of not it's the same thing but they exploit this <laughs> i have a problem with stopping playing them and so i need to finish everything yeah and then 50 hours later it's like oh i that's fifty hours I didn't have. <laughs> to
0: begin with, yeah, so. I mean, I did. I yeah. failed to ask my second question earlier. I remember it was my little sub question about um, the making of games because you said you made a lot of Android games, so and uh, yes. uh, mobile games. Do you think now you, you needn't? You know, you might not want to answer this question, but that's fine. But do you think there is a market for uh, the more traditional game in the mobile platforms?
1: Yes, most definitely. Yes. So, and there's examples to back that up. There's a few games that went out that are definitely not casual. So, right. so, what I mean by that, not casual in the sense of, uh difficulty so there so if you look at downwell are definitely games so the attention span will be shorter so you need to structure your game differently mm. but the core experience is closer to a traditional game than a a casual game that's what seems to be more popular on on mobile devices these days i, I know i would play and i i really love the hitman go and lara croft lara croft go yeah, series good. Good. obviously puzzle yeah. games again uh and i would actually prefer to play those on a mobile device than on a, on a pc just mm. because they f- it feels like they fit better they're more tactile like that and there's there's definitely other games that did
0: did yeah, well yeah i mean the, uh, the xcom like game is good and Reigns rains is good yeah. but i'm yeah. thinking more of even more traditional like xcom or final fantasy or um that kind of realm i mean they they do have a market they do have a, an audience don't they yeah.
1: Yeah, like uh, my all-time, not, not I shouldn't say all-time favorite game necessarily, but the game I've put most hours in ever is FTL. And that also came out on uh, mobile device. Did
0: and it worked really well as well. Oh,
1: yeah, it worked really, really I well. I, I still prefer the keyboard personally, but it it did really well and worked really well. I was I thought it would be way worse, and it was like yeah, I uh, I could totally see myself playing another hundred hours. <laughs> this, so yeah, I, I'll just stop here. I
0: love watching because uh, I come, I watch some Twitch streams sometimes. I stream myself, so it, it's kind of de rigueur that once you stream, you should watch others as well, of course, and. Uh, I've watched some fella... and it's so much fun to watch people playing that. He's like, oh, they going to die? How are they going to do? You can't, you can't, you cannot survive this!" No- oh wait, how did you put that in the bag? And you learn so much yeah. because he basically yeah. he trans- he he transmitted all these little dudes, and uh, he had a transporter, and he just he basically boarded the other ship and blew them up from the inside. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying.
1: That, that game's so deep on yes. um, so many levels. Yeah,
0: so. And I suppose I probably know the answer to this one. Maybe I don't, but the next question, core question, is what developer do you most admire in the industry and why?
1: I think that's really hard to to answer. I I don't know that I have like a one a singular one okay. that I I I would go like, oh my god, this person here is here. I there's there's so many things that are doing great work. I, I really appreciate it when people try to do more than just the games
0: right
1: so the, the, once i say that there's a few examples of people that, that they're just other people would just normally think about like right away right so like rami or jonathan blow and there's there's obviously like all, all these people just i've been to so many shows and i've met so many Independent developers that are amazing. It's just unfair
0: to—I know it's a very hard question, it, yeah, like just one person. Yeah, I mean, where I give a get-out to people is you can name a company if that helps, and that's that's fine because it yeah. makes it a bit more less personal because you don't want to In- hurt personal. anyone's feelings. Yeah, you, you don't you don't <laughs> yeah. hurt anyone's feelings. So,
1: oh no, and I, I don't feel like that. It's just I'm not so I don't have any uh, anything like a one particular developer that would say this is the. person i necessarily most look up to there's a there's like a group of them and it's a combination of like some of them are well known and some of them are not necessarily well known Yeah. and each of them does something really really well in a certain area right yeah So,
0: yeah so my last question in the first half um yes we made it there's a there's a boss battle at the end but yeah we've made it to the first half is um (laughs) i kind of legally required to ask this because it's a podcast about video games so i have to ask this question what are you playing right now
1: oh uh so i'm actually going through all of the games in the igf oh right uh, so yeah so i actually bought all of them and i'm about one third of the way through Can you talk about those, uh, so i can't remember uh yeah they're, they're i mean they're, they're no they're they're they're, they're publicly yeah, out they're there nom- so they've I, been yes.
0: nominated and they've been known so there yeah. you go oh,
1: there you go yeah yeah, yeah. so, how's that so i'm going through that it's really good. There's some really, really amazing games. And uh, it's just a reminder, though, that uh, everything's subjective, right? So I I look at some games and then I – it's just some games resonate with me more than others, so obviously, because different people have different tastes, right? So it's very, very obvious. But it's really some, some amazing games. There's just so many of them. And that's why I even more appreciate games that are like – two to three to five hours so i can play five of those instead of playing one game that's 20 plus hours and when i'm not doing that i'm also praying i got into rocket league recently so i was trying to avoid but
0: <laughs> i've got <laughs> yeah, that game like, uh, twice now i've got it on my pc and my ps4 what's wrong with me yeah but uh,
1: it's it's so so good so far and, i've managed yeah. to
0: avoid overwatch I don't know oh, yeah,
1: I've, I haven't even bought it no, exactly for that because I know reason. what will happen yes.
0: but since I'm getting this new graphics card which we talked about before the show everyone um, yeah. yeah that's probably going to happen now <laughs> damn it <laughs> oh dear but no it's um, well yeah Rocket League is yeah. it, it has all the when you describe it to people you go okay, yeah, that sounds like the worst game in the world yeah it does doesn't it but it's not yeah
1: but it plays so well and it's, it's so layered I think that's what I enjoy most about it it's like so many levels of uh, mastery inside the game that I I don't have the time or the skills to get to but just seeing some of the people I'm like yep yeah. that's why they, yeah, they <laughs> the, the they're ball. the pros It's
0: when they juggle the ball yeah it's the juggling of the ball yeah. that's, that's what makes the divides the amateurs driving around the bottom ram into each other versus those who are yeah. doing ballet with a, with a yeah power the aerials yeah. <laughs> it's just like really okay I'm gonna put my controller down now and let you get on with it
1: but yeah. um, thankfully I haven't spent too too much time with Rocket League so just still because I I'm <laughs> really close to release so I, I just I don't really have done much these days I yeah know.
0: Although, you know, by the time we listen to this now, the game's already out. Oh, yes. Yes. Because, <laughs> so, you know, this, this is future redo. Yes. Future. Yeah. So, that's the end of the first half. Well done. You managed to survive. Um, yay. yay. So, let's move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into semispheres. Okay. So, question number zero, because it's not really a question. And yes, that's right, it's an Asimov reference. Zero's uh, question. Tell us about Semispheres. What is it? So,
1: Semispheres is a puzzle game where you get the control two characters that reside in alternate realities. So, it's a puzzle game and it just plays around this concept of duality and parallel worlds. I think my most favorite tagline, like the shorter description, is a uh, "meditative parallel puzzle game." Yes. So that's that's the short short pitch. I could guess go in deeper, but uh, that's probably just,
0: that threw me because yeah. certainly the, the music does that, and I certainly drifted off when I was standing at your booth at PAX because I know a game's awesome when I forget I'm at PAX. Not that there's anything wrong with PAX. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah. Uh but it's just knowing that everything melts around you. The only thing I was aware of was you looking at me while I was playing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I tried to pace around like the back of the booth or whatever just to make sure that people know that I'm, at least every once in a while I'm going one way that I'm not looking at a screen. Yes,
0: because but, yeah. uh it's a very you know, it's a puzzle game. Puzzle games are solved in a different way and they might not be the same way that the design originally intended but it 's still solving yeah. them, as long as it 's legal, as yeah. long as all the moves are legal, it 's like, huh, I want to put that there, but hey, it worked, you know, and- yeah,
1: I understand this better than anyone because i ironically i don 't like playing games in public, right. so I go to all these shows, and I typically don 't really play many games, no. just I, I like to play games at home in my own kind of <laughs> like bubble <laughs> so yeah. so
0: yes, it, uh, it was a great game, and I just kept on playing it anyway uh because i just wanted to see more and more levels and what i played was a variant a type a, not a prototype but definitely like this is where we're going with this yeah. but this is the showing off yeah. way more a demo. it was a demo it yeah. was a demo pure and simple because it you know the, the, the same difficulty curve wasn't there it ramped right up very quickly because it was a demo yeah. and it was like you know lasting only a short period of time so yeah uh first real question now, brace yourself Semispheres does a great job of easing the play into concepts of the game how difficult it has it been to design levels that don't you know, have the difficulty spike happening too early on
1: wow this is really hard so it, it really helped a lot that I've showed the game at multiple places so probably more than a dozen events and some of them pretty big like PAX or Tokyo Game Show so uh, you get lots of traffic and uh, lots of let's say I don't want to call them core gamers, but I cannot find any better word. Like sort of people who are more like serious about gaming. Enthusiast. Let's say casual. Yes. That's a perfect word. So that helped a lot. And also I did some long form testing because at conferences, the only thing you can do is get people to play a game for like five to ten to maybe half an hour, like 30 minutes. That's the longest. Anything more than that is it's not humane anyway and i did some long-form play testing where i found people off of reddit on my uh really silly city i live in and got them to play through the whole game and record the playthrough and send it to me so then i can analyze and see where the problems are uh, for the most part it's a process of trial and error so you design these levels you think about it so i actually use um inkscape which is sort of like an adobe illustrator thing just to arrange the levels so i I took screenshots of each of the levels and then i can arrange them around and then i can visually see oh this level introduces that and then this level uses it later and i can figure out a way to lay out all the levels what's the order that i think would work and then back to the players getting them to play through the whole thing and see where they get stuck and it's this almost like this whack-a-mole process of like, oh, yeah, they don't get this thing. Let me just change this one level. I'm just going to tweak this small thing. And then now in the new version, they realize that that level is actually teaching something that you didn't even realize. <laughs> you have to put it back and then juggle some other things around. So ultimately, it's a process of just iteration. So you try, you you see what the problem is, you make like an assessment or a hypothesis is like, okay, this is how I'm going to fix it. You fix it and then you try again to see if you actually fix it and if you didn't introduce a new problem. And it it, it is really, really difficult because, I I mentioned this already, you don't want to make it too, too easy. So if you have the same level over and over again, even if it's just for learning, it kind of gets boring after a while. So, yeah, you need to have just enough that people understand the concept and then move on to something different. I think that's the uh, that's what I was going for.
0: Yeah, and yeah. that definitely comes through when you make it, you, you progress. You definitely feel a sense of like, see, I figured it out. I learned it from the yeah. last one. that I yeah. did that thing. And I did that, and I realized I could do that thing because I didn't know I could do that thing when I did that thing. So <laughs> it's... it's yeah. uh, it is yeah, it does does we did a really, really good job of that. But um we hinted at it but we haven't really we haven't expanded on it and I want to ask because this is probably more fundamental about the game more than having to control two spheres at the same time, or two little jellyfish things, that's what I've called them anyway. because um, 'cause they've got little trails. Um yeah. Semispheres has special powers. In that yes. you can pick up little icons that give you special powers. How did these come about?
1: So, yeah. Uh, so the first one, I'll give you a bit of the history of the game. So the game started off in uh, August 2014 as a Game Jam game. It's part of Ludendary 30. Mm-hmm. And the theme for that was Connected Worlds. So the first version of the game did not have any portals or anything. It just had like these two similar worlds side by side and two characters. And then one of them could make a noise on the other side. So that was it. So pretty much the equivalent of making a noise in a portal in the current version. So that was what I came up with in like 48 hours of the game jam. I guess the first power or ability was a combination of what I call the ping or noise making and the portal. Then, after I decided to actually work on this game, I already mentioned, I want to keep the game as cohesive as possible. So, it always, one of my driving principles was anything that I add to the game needs to play with the duality of the game. The fact that the two sides are connected and they're connected by, let's say, by location. If you haven't played the game, that's a bit hard to explain. But think of it as like two overlapping floors of the same house, where if you're like right above a certain spot in the other floor, you can influence that certain spot. And uh, the game is stealth themed. So you have these guards that have like vision cones. So it, it takes, it borrows from other stealth games. So I could bring back any of those mechanisms. So anything they can do in a, in a stealth game, I could potentially bring back into, into this game and add more content. And that's fine. Probably not something too difficult to achieve. However, like every single time I I looked at any of those, I was trying to think, if I abstract it away, is it the same thing as before? So let's say if if I have like a a noisemaker that I put down and I walk away and I trigger remotely, that's fundamentally the same thing as the other guy being in a portal. So it's not necessarily that much different. So uh, from the kinds of levels you can come up with, they would almost be derivatives of what I already have in the game. So that's why there's maybe two, five or six different abilities and let's say two uh, behavioral um, abilities or like things that you do that are used inside puzzles that all work together and they don't necessarily overlap in the sense that they're, they're not the same thing. And that's kind of the most I could get in that didn't start repeating itself you see this in a lot of games it's just like some things are they don't look the same but once you abstract it away they are the same like i I saw a game at a game jam recently and uh it, it just it seemed like it was a certain kind of game but once you look at it from the outside it's actually oh it's not uh top down this is like side side view actually if you think of it differently so yeah so that's my i think that's my design goal to not, not have anything in the game. So it's almost a process of elimination. Because as a game designer, you always get these ideas like, oh, what if I do this and this and this, and ultimately it's just trying to see what works good with what's in the game and doesn't doesn't repeat. There's that that scene where it's like it's complete when you cannot take away anything, right?
0: Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Uh, my next question, you made mention of what I call the Sentinels, or the Guards, yeah. or whatever they are, um, but they, yeah. they they do, once you're seen, you don't die, but you sort of vanish and re- restart, or get re- reset to another yeah. place. Not necessarily yeah. where you started, I hasten to add. Um, and um, I just want to know, when you are discovered, well, not so much discovered, when you trigger a noisemaker, the Sentinels move, and their path very faintly but it's drawn their, their path yeah. of movement i'm gonna have to ask why
1: so that was the feedback from somebody that uh to the game that they um they wanted a bit more insight into what's going to happen and one of my other driving principles is because i'm borrowing from stealth games i think those can be like divided in two major categories so you have the um uh, let's say the Mark of the Ninja way of uh, stealth games where you have, depending on how you play, but let's say on the easy mode, you have all the information you need on the screen. So it becomes purely a problem-solving game where you just need to figure out how to make progress. Now, if you take a game like Dishonored, which is a great game, I I personally didn't enjoy it as, as much as a stealth game because it goes a bit the other way where you also have these abilities, but you have this uncertainty, That you don't know if this guard's gonna see you or if you can squeeze through there. It's a 3D space. It's uh, it's not everything is in clear sight. So uh, they're both valid design decisions and the dishonored weight actually comes with like more tension because you don't know. It's like, oh, is he looking this way? Am I close enough? Is he gonna see me? So you don't have like clear information about the guards and their positioning and even their patterns are harder to uh, see. But it goes for a different feel. So I was going for more for the feel of like you have all the information. So it's primarily a puzzle game. I feel like puzzle games and stealth games are kind of related in a way that a puzzle game typically, let's say, has one solution. A stealth game has multiple solutions. But it's almost exercising the same kind of uh, brain muscles or like brain areas by trying to solve it. So I'm going more towards the puzzly way and that's why that's one of the indicators that at least you know which way the guard's going to come toward you and then you can... It's not about being surprised or reacting. So I'm trying to take away the, like the Twitch reactionary angle out of the game where the game is mostly about thinking about doing something like solving a puzzle and then executing on it. And I don't want the player to fail just because of a mechanical... Um, sort of shortcoming of any way, like oh, you thought he's gonna go left and he went right, and then you got spotted. Because just it's just frustrating. So I saw this with people playing. When you it's a puzzle game, when you know the solution, you're trying to execute it. It's not very fun to die and die over and over again. Except for a few levels aren't doing that intentionally, where the solution is really obvious, and it's more about mechanical. Ability and that's just to break the puzzle pacing but those are just a few of them in the ent- entire game I think so.
0: That point about mechanics leads me on to yeah. my it's almost as if you're looking over my shoulder and you can see these questions it's <laughs> really scary, it happens a lot when developers are either unpredictable and these questions are terrible or they just flow <laughs> because the way I compose these yeah. questions is they they're based on as I'm experiencing it I want to build up to a point, and I want to add complexity to the questions to give an idea to the listener that yeah. I've I thought about this stuff, but I can't go diving in and talk about the more complex stuff until we have a foundation to what we talk about the rest of everything else. So this yeah. is my final question to you, and I think it's something that I find intriguing about semispheres more than anything else. Over and above the, the dual controls, because we've already seen it in... Other games, may I say, you know that too. Um, but this is a different beast because you have the two worlds interacting with each other. Uh, but yeah. they, they don't actually interact with each other unless you're in the level area, but the level select, which is quite fun. Yeah. Um, what, I'm, what I'm referring to is there are some levels. Timing is extremely yeah. key in completing a level and some coordination, simultaneous coordination to a point, it's not strictly possible, but you know what I mean. Some coordination is, is required between the left and right-hand sides of the, of the level. Um, when levels design, you know, require that, how impact has it been in their design?
1: Sorry, uh, how...
0: So what I'm talking about is when you have a level that requires timing... Between the two sides of the screen, that you have to interact and get things and get people, get your, the, the, get the two sides moving very, uh, in a very coordinated manner over a series of sequences to ensure yeah. that, how, how has that changed the level design over and above the more methodical sort of, um, one stage after another?
1: So, what I did, uh, a bit earlier during development is I tried to graph the uh let's say the puzzle difficulty of the level and the mechanical difficulty what that means like how hard it is to figure out what you need to do versus execute it mm-hmm. so i'm trying to go uh this was like in earlier builds but i i think i kind of i was trying to keep it in the full game as well i was trying to go where the the puzzle difficulty kind of goes high and then drops. It's, so that drops meant to be serve as a reset. So this was partially inspired from the hero's journey. So the whole idea of, like, uh, these mini climaxes in the story where, you, like, something happens, 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 there, there's a climax, then mm. things go back to normal, and then you start building up from the ground. So once you start building up from the ground again, then that kind of helps – There's more room to build if that makes sense, right? So the crescendo, like the the difference between the the bottom of the graph and the top, is higher in terms of the difficulty you can build on the next set of puzzles. So that was like that. So it's twofold. Like one of them is meant to break the pacing of the puzzles, where you can't add keep adding more and more and more difficult puzzles because it's just gonna. I think that's just not going to be good. You need a bit of a breather every once in a while. And those are meant to be that. And then I'm trying to keep these constrained to what you need to do is – I think except for one level, they're either symmetrical or um, asymmetrical. I mean in the sense that – not asymmetrical but the opposite, which are easier movements to do for for humans when you need to do something in the same way. And the other consideration was that I look at this as how I imagine – Playing the piano is where it's not a reactionary thing where you need to do something really fast. It's more like, okay, so I need to do this. You think about it and then you execute it. So it's like you plan in advance, then you execute the movement that you want it to do. I think that's... That's why those levels are in the game. Anything else? I've actually had other things in the game that I took out. There were around movement around guards, and I had guards patrolling and everything. And I took it out because I felt it didn't fit with the rest of the core, the core of the game. So it took it out too, like, it took it too much away from the puzzle aspect of things. So I felt this was just close enough. So it's deviating a bit, but just the idea of like having to do something at the same time is interesting as well. Cause there, there's a bit of that uncertainty of like, am I doing the right thing when I'm trying to do both at the same time? And you don't know until you try it. And
0: yeah, yeah.
1: then that, that, so from what I hear, like in terms of feedback from the players, some of those levels have been the most rewarding uh, because they, it, it's something that it looks like really hard to do. And then, cannot do it and then all of a sudden you can do it and it, it feels like an achievement that's so. right
0: that's as the best puzzle games do like they, the player the sort of sensory feedback is very important and uh yes. you know that reward of actually yeah yeah you you did it you managed to uh foil the the, the sentinels and many other traps besides well done yeah. you you're not dumb <laughs> and uh but uh, i just, just want to ask you about that because i found that some puzzles did require you to you know do a bit of uh, hand-eye coordination to get it done because you know what we needed to do is just being able to do it. <laughs> it's the, it's yeah. The... So yeah, it's a careful, careful balance. I think we said the word yeah. balance a lot in this show, and it, and it happens yeah. because this kind of game requires very. You know, you don't want to have people picking up the controller, especially against the wall, because that frustration, it's not. He it doesn't help you. It doesn't help anyone. The whole point yeah. is the game is meditative. If you're Grinding your teeth while playing it—you shouldn't be playing it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that that wouldn't be the definition of meditative, Yeah. No,
0: it's it, quite opposite of that. And I certainly don't grind my teeth when I play it. I think it's uh, uh I, I love the, my favorite part of it is um the opening screen, uh when you open a new level and it's all it's overlaid each other and then they split off either left and right. Yeah. And, um, just seeing that first thing, that first two, few, two or three seconds of me sitting there going, Oh, what, what's this? And it's just, you know, what, what do I do now? How do I solve this one? And that's, that's yeah. really, that's, not solving it. Yes, that's part of it, but discovering new ones and figuring those out. That's the real core to puzzle games. And certainly Semispheres builds on that tenfold. So well done for doing that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So the game is out. <laughs> I know. Weird, right? I know it is. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's out on the PlayStation Four and Steam Windows PC. Yes. Uh, you do you do yeah. Control is kind of required for this one. So it uh, uh,
1: actually so it it does play with a keyboard. It I does. and uh, the keys are remappable. And I I personally prefer. I'm a keyboard gamer. So oh, nice. I I personally prefer that. It's just there's some hardware limitations where you may need to redefine your keys. Yeah. Like um, yeah. But uh, just because some keyboards don't allow more than, say, three simultaneous key presses at the same time, depending on the keys that you choose. So it may be like WSAD and IJKL or WSAD and Arrow keys uh, that work well, depending on your keyboard. Huh. So it definitely works with a keyboard. And I've I finished it <laughs> many times while testing with a keyboard.
0: Interesting. So, okay, I prefer yes. the controller, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, Radu, it's been fantastic having you on. Um,
1: Likewise. It was a great pleasure. <laughs> I,
0: I hope you got something out of it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's been really interest, interesting talking to you about your, your history and also the development of the and your ideas and how it evolved. It's been really interesting. Thank you very, very much.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It was uh, great to be able to talk about these kind of things. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So uh do wish you the best of luck with it and your future endeavors. You're more than welcome to come back on to talk about whatever next game you're working on. No doubt it is something. No no idea what it is. Of course I don't. Uh, <laughs> nor should anyone until you're ready to, sh- to, to share. So, But uh, yeah, thanks very much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory do leave us an iTunes review and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher.com so just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan no apostrophes and uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show which is the stablemate Podcast, shall we say, of spong.com Bye!